Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Baseball is Good. I'm your host, Corey Engelhart. This is the 28th episode, and um, I just wanted to welcome you and say hello, and thanks for listening so far. It's been a fun um, time doing this show, and I appreciate um, everyone who's who's coming along for the ride on a weekly basis, I guess, and, and, and talking about baseball, talking about whatever comes up really. And it's just been, it's been fun to have this kind of release from reality for an hour or so every week to talk about the sport, talk about uh, baseball as a whole and, 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 and meet and chat with some really fun and new and interesting people. And I am excited for tonight's show because the the person that I'm chatting with I've I've not met in in real life before and um I'm excited to talk about the sport and how he got into it um as far as enjoying it as a as a young person and and why he still likes the game now so I'm going to bring him on and and we'll get the show started Hi are you there Hey Corey Hey, how are you? Is this Devlin? Yes, it is. Hi. So I didn't introduce you very well. I apologize for that. Um, nope, we haven't met okay. in real life. Uh, uh, why don't you? I'll 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 let you handle the introductions, and then we can get started with the show. Uh, where are you from? What is your name? And 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 let's get started. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Devlin Clark. I'm uh, born and raised lifelong Minnesotan. Um, I was born in the uh, Twin Cities in uh, St. Paul area. I grew up between, I spent uh, 13 years of my life over on the Cleveland Avenue um, part of St. St. Paul over near between St. Thomas and St. Catharines and uh, grew up going to the uh, Metrodome in the 90s when they had uh, at- MSC, Snapper Mole, Down Innings, and the uh, Saturday Autograph Parties on the Plaza. So really looking forward to reading some of those and uh, excited to uh, be here with you tonight, Corey. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I um, for the last about 10, 11 years or so, have lived pretty close to that area of the world where you grew up. So you, you mentioned you grew up there. Where Where do you live now? Uh, right now, I actually uh, live up in uh, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Okay, yeah, that's uh, a different area of the state than St. Paul is. What what drew you to that that region? Uh, you know, my uh, my mom's family is from here. Um, her, we used to when we lived in the cities, we used to go come up to a small town outside of Grand Rapids, kind of up between Grand Rapids and Hibbing. Um, for birthdays and Christmases and things like that, when I wouldn't have school. So, um, when sure. I was a kid, I or when I, when I was an adult, I just kind of moved up here because my mom was still located. My mom's still located up here, and I just kind of fell into place. I've lived uh, in Rap in Grand Rapids three different times, actually. So, oh, cool. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, you grew up in the cities, loving baseball, loving the Twins. How, how did you – I'm always curious. I kind of started this this podcast as a whole just trying to find different people's view on how they 
grew to like the sport of baseball, I guess. So my question I like to ask everyone is why baseball? Like, why did, why did you like baseball? You know, honestly, for me, um, for me, my answer is real simple. Um, it was the first sport that really helped me learn math. Um, you know, I remember okay. being in a, being in elementary school and kind of struggling a little bit with math and my dad would, uh, my dad helped me um, help me to figure out things like uh, he would help me figure out like batting averages, like how to how to figure out a batting average or how to figure out an ERA or um, you know something like that. And I would look on the back of baseball cards and I would try to I would add up all the stats on the back of the card just to make sure that the companies didn't get them wrong and things like that. And, you know, it helped me. It helped me to both, you know, learn how to do, learn how to, you know, improve my math skills, and it also helped me fall in love with baseball. And I think a lot of that is from my dad too. He's always been a giant, giant Twins fan. Um, we've never, we've been kind of casual Timberwolves fans and casual uh, Vikings fans, but for both of us, baseball's just kind of always been our first love for uh, for sports. Yeah, I think you and I kind of learned math the same way. It was not something I was strong at in school, but I, I um, absolutely got uh, a love of statistics and numbers and, and looking at numbers that way because of baseball cards and because of um, the other thing that I got in early as a kid was um, some computer PC games. One of them was called Hardball 3, and then it went to Hardball 5, just just creating players and creating statistics on there helped me learn right. math in some ways right. too and, and playing it that way and also being able to play catch with friends or or family it, it that kind of drew me into the sport that way and then playing it from there but it's interesting hearing that because yeah it, that's absolutely how I learned uh, to be better in school I think because of because of the sport and, and learning numbers and looking at the backs of cards that way and it, it's it's fun to think about like that's how I uh, grew to be an adult but it was fun learning it because of the sport I guess right yeah absolutely and like I said for me you know it's it's become you know I, I, I can't speak for you but for me it's still something to this day that you know 25 years later that I'm still incredibly passionate about I mean I'm I'm, I'm a casual I'm a casual basketball fan I'm I'm somewhat more of a football fan, but I tell you, you know, baseball's where it's at. Rogers Hornsby was correct when, with his quote, and he said, what do I do when it's not baseball season in the winter? I sit outside and look out the window, you know. So that's, <laughs> exactly. that's where I'm at, you know. I, 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 the only thing I really – the only thing I ever collect is baseball stuff, specifically twin stuff. Um, but baseball stuff, I mean, I, I, I don't fault people who like hockey or – you know, football or whatever. I just baseball has always been my first love and always will be. Sure, I, I kind of feel like everyone needs a thing, especially as we all get older, like family and work and and kids or or whatnot and responsibility. Like, you still need a thing to have a passion in outside of like real responsibility or day to day life. And um, I absolutely, I'm kind of with you. Like, I know. If you would have asked 22-year-old me, I would have said, yeah, football, hockey, basketball, like I'm I'm huge into all of it. And 
baseball was kind of the first thing that I fell in love with, and it's still there now where the others have kind of been pushed. I don't know if pushed to the side is the right word, but I'm just not as invested in other sports or other activities, I guess, um, as I feel like I had more time for when I was younger. And maybe, maybe that's an appreciation of it too, I guess, in a sense. Right. And I, you know, I think it takes a certain kind of person to, um, you know, baseball, you know, as you know, is a very um, statistics and analytics oriented game, um, you know, nowadays more than ever. And it's one of those things where, you know, to an average fan, they may hear, oh, the twin sign Luis Severino to a two year, $10 million contract and people are, and the average twin fan who may not be, you know, who may be looking from the outside in like a casual fan, um, you know, who may have loved, who may love baseball as a second or third sport would say, oh, well, okay, it's just another guy. We signed him from the Yankees, so he must be pretty good. And, or, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, they'll give us the opinion of, well, you know, we signed a guy who's not going to pitch this year. That was kind of stupid. But when you look deep, when you look further at it, you realize that it's actually a really shrewd move, and it's things like that. It's analyzing moves and statistics and figures and things like that. It's almost kind of moneyball like in a sense with me, where I just really love to see transactions that maybe kind of fly under the radar to average fans or that you know fans in general may not be a fan of, and then try and convert them and be like, "Hey, you know here's why it's a good move." Sure. Well, even so, um, Parker Hageman of Twins Daily wrote a really interesting article today about um, the Zach Duke signing. And that, that's the same sort of thing where you mentioned Michael Pineda, but um, the Zach Duke signing, there's certain things about him when he throws more sidearm than at three quarters um, motion that he's just way more unhittable when he throws lower, right. lower slot, lower, lower sidearm and, and that sort of thing. That's just fascinating to think like um, maybe they found something for super cheap and didn't spend eight, nine, 10, 11 million on a reliever when potentially over the course of 50 innings, you might get about the same production over, over the course of next year. And, and that's, it's fun to read about and learn like maybe why, uh, decision makers are looking at specific players. Certain you mentioned fans. It, it's kind of all how you're invested in researching whatever it is you're researching. But um, if you can see the reasoning and the thought process behind a decision for any player to be brought on, or, or whatever the background is, it's it's it it brings a different joy level to it to to bring an understanding about. Um, what's going on, I guess. I I, I I I get that, what you're saying, too. So, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you, I mean, we can use that as a, as a good example. You know, you look at the, you look at the Zach Duke signing and to, you know, to an average, to an average fan, you know, they're going to look at uh, Zach Duke and they're going to go, okay, well, here's a guy who is 35 years old. He's a left-handed side armor and the twins signed him for two million dollars. He had a he played he had a three point nine three ERA and he's twenty four career games under five hundred. 
they're going to look at him and go, okay, well, it's just another boneheaded signing and improves the Twins don't know what they're doing because they didn't spend money. But mm-hmm. when you when you delve deeper into that, like you said, you know, Parker Daly and, or Parker Hagman over at Twins Daly and all those guys, Jeremy Nygaard and Seth Stills and, and all the people that contribute to the Twins, either Prospects Handbook or just kind of the whole process of bringing – you know, I call them deep stats, um, you know, advanced stats, analytics, things like that, um, to the surface and, and showing fans why it's more than just wins, losses, ERA, banning average home runs, RBIs. That's really the fun part. Um, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. you, you look at, you know, the big thing, I've noticed is with the with the guys the Twins have signed, now you're looking at um, Zach Duke, you're looking at Fernando Rodin, you're looking at Luis Severino. The the thing that um, is clear to me is one thing. The, the Twins are, are 100% absolutely committing to trying to get more ground balls and more strikeouts. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Severino, when he's healthy, I believe in May of this last year, he had a 17-strikeout uh, game right around Mother's Day against the Orioles. Um, he's got a real real heavy slider that's got a lot of movement that when he's on, it's really, really hard to hit. It gets underneath the batters and makes it really hard to hit. And Zach Duke, I mean, he's, he's, gonna, he's 35, but, uh, you know, like you mentioned, that article, um, you know, it's something simple as throwing three quarters as opposed to sidearm or, you know, throwing lefty as opposed to right, things like that. Um, to the average to the average fan saying, oh, well, you know, this guy makes $2 million and he's 35, well, he's probably not going to be very good. Well, it's the average fan that may be the case, but then, you know, to, to guys who enjoy analytics and things like that, you can look at it and go, okay, well, look at what his splits are. And that's where you can see – and that's why I think you see a lot of, you know, younger guys, you know, in their 30s, 20s, 30s, and 40s getting hired from Major League Baseball front offices, you know, guys like Derek Helvey, because it is mm-hmm. a new way of thinking that's kind of taken over baseball. Well, and and – I like to look at it as just even in the World Series, like the Dodgers and Astros are two of the absolutely more forward-thinking front offices in the sport of baseball. And you look at um, the pitcher for the Astros, I'm blanking on his name right now, <laughs> who closed out the uh, – who, who pitched the middle innings of the seventh game. Uh, he was drafted the same year as Barrios, and he, um, young kid, basically he threw something like thirty curveballs in a row. And what I'm trying to get Charlie at is, Martin? no, Charlie Morton is the guy that throws the hard sinking fastball. Um, I'll look it up here quick. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at basically is that. Um, using analytics isn't always a be-all, end-all. It's not the answer to everything necessarily, but it is, I look at it as like a history lesson. Like if you understand um, history and what's worked and also understand the background of why you're making a decision rather than just saying it feels right, it feels like the good answer, 
Um, you may have more knowledge behind you making a decision going forward because you can't predict the future. Anybody that's done amazingly well at anything, it doesn't necessarily mean that their next at bat or their next batter they face, they're going to get out or, or get a hit or, or whatever the positive answer is. It doesn't predict that, but, um, and I was trying to think of Lance McCullers. That's who I was thinking of. He was used as a reliever in the in the World Series, and and his best pitch is arguably his curveball. So if you if you look at it as his best pitch is his curveball, he gets people out with his curveball, throw his curveball twenty five times in a row to get outs. Like you don't have to. Right. It's almost like you're not. It's not overthinking using analytics. It's it's looking at the easiest answer to get the end result. That's how I kind of kind of view it. Like if if Zach Duke has shown better results throwing sidearm than at three quarters, well, just have him throw more at sidearm. Like that's 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 how the answer should come to it. It should just be an easier answer when you have more knowledge to back up while you're making the decision. Right. Um, something interesting on Zach Duke, I've got uh, his baseball reference page up right now. Um, just something that I find interesting when I'm the biggest thing that jumps out at me is his, um, his ERA in the American league. Now, granted he's only pitched for, um, but he pitched for the White Sox in 2015 and 2016. Mm-hmm. So he's only got two seasons in the uh, American league and 12 years in the national league. You know, but anybody mm-hmm. that's a baseball fan will tell you usually the National League's a lot easier because you don't have the age and you have pitchers. Uh, mm-hmm. Zach Duke's Zach Duke has an ERA in the National League of four point four, and in the mm-hmm. American League of three of three point one. So <laughs> he's got a one point he's got a one point three ERA differential in the harder league. And like you said, you know, that doesn't say that, you know, analytics is the be all and end all, but that's a good example of just showing that, you know, maybe, maybe, there, maybe there's something more to it that he's got a lower ERA against better competition. Sure. Or, uh, or he didn't have, because reliever ERA to me is, is so volatile. You can have, two games in a two-week span where you give up four runs in both of those games, and then you're just never coming back the rest of the year because you're only going to throw 50 innings. So sometimes it's just bad luck on a couple days, and that's how you're viewed for the whole year, and that's that's too bad sometimes. But, um, yeah, I I really like like that signing, I guess. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say I I absolutely um, totally agree with you. You look at you know, I think it was last year, to your point, Fernando Abad. I mean, he had a couple mm-hmm. early innings in the season. I think he had one um, out maybe against Boston where he gave up like four runs in a couple of a couple of appearances right in a row, and his ERA jumped from one-something up to about six. And all the way up until the trade deadline, he was, you know, he was fighting that 4, 4, 10, 4, 20 ERA, so – you know, yeah, like you said, absolutely. It's much harder for relievers to maintain a good ERA because they get such few innings. But it also, but it also um, allows you to appreciate guys like Brian Shaw and especially Minnesota native mm-hmm. Pat Neshek, who just, who year in and, and year out just seem to find ways to just have such a great ERA while pitching quite a few innings. 
Sure. Well, I, I um, wanted to bring up it too because going into this off season, which arguably there's not really been much that's happened across baseball, not even just for the Twins. And I, as as a fan going in, I just was the, of the assumption that the Twins would probably assign at least one, if not a couple relievers to multi-year deals, if not two-year deals, maybe three or even four to get to get specific guys signed. And seeing them sign Fernando Rodney to a one-year deal for fairly minimal money for what should be a middle reliever contract, and then to sign Zach Duke to the same contract basically that Matt Belisle got last year, it's um, like he, he's getting this – Matt. Uh, sorry, Zach Duke got a three-year deal – three years ago and we see how well that worked out because he had Tommy John a year into his deal and um, hoping for the Jake McGee's or Brian Shaw's or Tony Watson who's still available or Addison Reed who's still available to, to going in as a fan, uh, I'll admit hoping to sign one or two of those guys because they're just, I view it as their bigger names, so they must be better. doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be better for the 40, 50, 60 innings they pitched this year than the guys that the Twins are picking up, and that's it's fun to research why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think – I think one of the uh I think the Zach Duke signing actually at the end of the year is going to be uh one of those signings that a lot of fans say wow that was that was a pretty shrewd signing that was we got a 35-year-old guy coming off of Tommy John you know typically when a guy comes off of Tommy John when he comes back that first year um he doesn't pitch well last year Duke pitched in um 27 games he he had a one and one record with an ERA just a hair under four, three nine three. It's usually that second year that um, that is that's the improvement. So we'll see how Duke does. It wouldn't surprise me one bit though if he um, ends up being um, being one of the better signings the Twins make. I personally hope they end up using him more than a Lugie guy, but. You know, having him and Taylor Rogers going into the season, I think gives gives a lot more confidence to um, the front office, the team, the bullpen, et cetera, than it would having Buddy Boshears and Taylor Rogers. You know, no, no, not to take anything away from Buddy Boshears, but I think when you can go out and get a get a guy who's 35 years old and who has 14 years or 13 years of major league experience on a one-year, what was it, $2 million deal, a $1.2 million deal, you, you do it and sure. you, you know, you're happy with it. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you mentioned his stats last year. He, he as, as far as, like, recorded history for Tommy John surgery, was the fastest player to come back from that surgery just over 10 months, and that's basically unheard of. It's pretty much a... 12 to even 18 month recovery, depending on the athlete right. and how far they're coming back. But prior to that, 2014, 15, 16, he was a guy that averaged over 10 strikeouts per every nine inning and under three walks per nine innings. He was just a guy that was dominant on those levels, got ground balls. And if you can come back to any, even 75% of that efficiency as far as getting strikeouts, not giving up walks and limiting the amount of 
line drives, especially line drives that were fly balls. That's a guy that um, is going to be one of the better relief pitchers, not even for the Twins, but probably in the Central or or maybe across the American League. He's not going to have the the save stats or some of the other like counting stats that um, some people look at for for gaudy numbers making the All Star game or that sort of thing, but he's going to be a really valuable guy who can get lefties out and can get righties out too. And he's somebody that I'm excited for if he's healthy for, for them to have at their disposal in the, in the bullpen this year. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no doubt about it. I agree. You know, even going back to 2014 uh, when he was, excuse me, with the Brewers, 11.4 strikeouts per nine innings. So if he can get ground, like you mentioned, if he can get ground balls and strikeouts, target fields, a big part, park it's it's a park that uh you know if he can get ground balls and strikeouts the twins have a good enough defense where um you know he should be able to uh be productive you know he kind of uh he kind of the thing that popped into my head when we were talking earlier about his his delivery and his motion it kind of reminded me of chad bradford from uh moneyball mm-hmm. not to the extent where nobody yeah. wanted him but to mm-hmm. the extent of that that delivery, that motion, you know, in that movie, Billy Bean and, uh, you know, the uh, the Jonah Hill character who's based on Paul DePodesta, they see something in him um, that nobody else sees. They see that hidden value, and, you know, he's got a line in there where he says something about, you know, kind of similar to what you said, like, this guy could not, this guy should cost $3 million and we can get him for $230,000 and he's got the chance yeah. to be the most valuable pitcher in our bullpen. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. baseball, baseball is one of those things, kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's evolutionary. It's always changing. There's always different things that, you know, scouts and analytics and people like that are looking at. But like we also mentioned too, you know, it, it's not the end, be all and end all. It's it is about forming relationships. It's about you know Thad Levine and and Chris Jimenez and Hugh Darvish's relationship in Texas. It's about Derek Belvey having um, Chris Jimenez in Cleveland and and bringing him in and knowing what kind of uh, what kind of guy he was going to be both for the bullpen and also for the pitchers and you know it, things like that. So it's a combination of both that uh, really kind of makes things fascinating and kind of, for me, takes it to another level is not only just the relationships that players have with each other and with the front office, but then also kind of how that translates onto the field and the numbers and why um, players, why organizations sign certain players who may not, you know, be as, be as splashy. But, you know, like the Twins, for example, they're making a lot of what I would call shrewd signings this offseason. They're not making any splashy signings. Nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, the Twins have had the best offseason. But they're they're picking up guys that they feel are going to be great for their system, um, that are going to work for the confines in which they need or that situation. And uh, I, I, I applaud them for it. Well, so you, you kind of mentioned that you don't think people will be excited about this offseason, and I kind of get that. I, I I don't know what expectations I had going in, but I wanted the team to upgrade, especially their starting rotation, but overall their pitching staff. What If you were in Thad Levine's shoes, what – what would you want to accomplish the rest of the offseason? What would what would you try to do? Is it something about 
I, I'll, I'll, I'll stop adding words to my question. What would you want to do if you were in Thad Levine's shoes as far as the offseason goes for the Twins? What would you want to accomplish? You know, I would uh, I would definitely try to um, maximize wins. I would try to find a way to get as many wins as possible. And I think the way you do that is you sign you Darvish. I know that's been the popular uh, he's been he's the big name on the free agent market. I know the Twins are usually never in the free agent market, but I think he's a guy that you go to him, and reports are saying that he wants a six-year deal and the Twins don't want to go six. Well, give him five and a player option or five and a team option, um, front or back load in the contract. I think uh, if you look at that, um, if you look at you, Darvish, and, you know, you have a lot of fans who say, well, you know, he, he's terrible in the playoffs. Okay, yeah, he might he might have struggled in the playoffs, especially in the World Series against the Astros. But it's a double it's a double edged sword. Yes, he was not good in the World Series, but one, you don't get to the World Series without you, Darvish. And two, mm-hmm. the Astros are no slouch. I mean, they were the number one offense in the American League and number two overall in baseball for a reason. So it's not yep. like he's going out there, you know, playing the San Diego Padres every game. So. If I if it's me, I go out and I sign a big name guy, um, caring not caring, having no care at all what the fan base thinks of it, doing it one hundred percent because it's the right move for the team at the right moment, and you are committed to winning over the next five years. Because I think that's what that message sends. Um, I think if you sign a Darvish or an Arietta or you know another you are committing to the franchise and to the people of Minnesota. You're saying over the next X amount of years, our team and our franchise is committed to winning ball games, and we expect to be in the postseason. Plus, you know, I think I, I really honestly think a uh, a one two three of of Darvish, Irvin Santana, and Barrios is a lot better than. Uh, Santana, Barrios, and Gibson, Santana, Barrios, Duffy, etc. Sure. Well, outside of Darvish, and I, I'm not saying this to argue. I, 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 I love that idea. But um, are there other? Yeah, I'm not saying this to argue. I, I love that idea. But um, are there other? Moves or upgrades you would try to do for the off season as well, outside of Darvish, or is he? Basically, I'm trying to say if you if the Twins were to get someone like Darvish, would that be the end of the off season for you? Um, I would probably try to add um, a bat somewhere. I know that right now they're they're kind of thin at catcher. They they have Castro and they didn't uh, re-sign Jimenez yet, but that might go along with the Darvish um, with the Darvish signing. I would try to. I would try to get a bat, um, you know, somebody that one a uh, mutual friend of ours, Brandon Warren of the uh, Athletic, has mentioned <laughs> who would be great would be uh, Lomo. Uh, I think Logan Morrison sure. would be great, great pickup for the Twins. Um, you know, somebody in that caliber again, maybe not, maybe not a quote splashy signing, but somebody who definitely would be productive in the role that the Twins give him. And yeah, I think, well, he had a I fantastic he, year last year. I agree. Yeah, he did. He did. He really, really did. And I think, 
you know, the U Darvish conversation is interesting because to me it, it comes down to one question. What do you value more, money and length of contract or prospects? Uh, would mm-hmm. you rather spend a lot of money on a long-term commitment, or would you rather that, or would you rather trade prospects? I guess the answer to that depends on you know how what your inherent value of prospects is, and for most people, it's pretty high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I I kind of view that same way. Like I would. Darvish would be the player I would want more than anyone just because it would only be money you're giving up. You're not having to forfeit a draft pick to sign him like Arietta or Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb. And you wouldn't have to trade prospects for him at all out of your system. So you would just be spending the money and it's not my money, so it doesn't matter. But um, if you can sign him and have him lead your rotation for the next, let's say they sign him for a six year deal, even Let's, and if they sign him for six years, my anticipation is that he would lead the rotation at least for the next four in the last couple of years of the deal would probably just be, um, I would anticipate it to be a sunk cost, but if you can do anything after that point, that'd be pretty great. But if you right. can do that and then save all of your prospects to be able to use as far as further trade targets or as potential players that you could have at the major league level, that's certainly a positive. But I, I think if you're looking at it as maybe trading prospects to get a guy who's still controlled for maybe two years, three years, something like that, because you don't want to give out a six-year deal, I can see that argument. But then that also means you don't have uh, you name the prospect in your system anymore. And that, that's, for me, harder to take depending on the return that you're getting uh, when upgrading the rotation, which is not, um, which is expensive, I guess you could say. So, yeah, for me, Darvish would be the number one pick too um, to add to the team. But I can see why the trade route would be um, ideal in some minds, uh, just because if the team doesn't believe in three or four prospects becoming what the trading team believes in them, then a deal is easier to stomach overall. But it just depends on what the return would be. If you're if you're talking like a Nick Gordon, who I would have a hard time trading because of the shortstop flexibility. But um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, Logan Morrison, I, I like the idea of that. He's a lefty hitter, and left-handed hitters have have uh, had sort of an easier time. Uh, hitting home runs when they pull it at target field. But if he if he's able to hit well and be a good DH, I'm all for that. I can also see there, there's been talk of Mike Napoli coming to the Twins. And he's had a couple rough years the last few years, but he still has power. And I think if they were to look at a Mike Napoli as, as like a platoon DH, maybe play first base occasionally, and have Vargas not on the roster, but I, I, I look at Napoli as maybe even a part-time coach, part-time mentor for like a Miguel Sano. If he, if he's able to help Miguel Sano stay healthy and become a, a long-time veteran in Major League Baseball, I, I think that signing is worth its weight in gold too. Yeah, I mean, I agree. The only thing I would say about Napoli is, you know, going along with that is that we have 
Um, you know, you have a lot of first base DH kind of guys like that already. I mean, you brought up uh, you brought up Vargas, um, but it's just it's one of those things where you have just have to ask yourself, you know, how how much how many at bats do you want to give this guy? And he was terrible last year. He hit 193. Yeah, he hit 29 home runs, but he hit 193 last year. So you get a you get kind of a boom and bust kind of thing. I, I kind of mentioned on Twitter the other day. It was kind of similar to um, it was kind of similar to Jim Tomey. Not not as ex- except you know Tomey didn't have the extremes that Napoli had. And I believe Napoli was injured last year. I think he had a hand injury or a wrist injury or something. But um, you know when you when you hit 193 and you have a 34 percent strikeout rate or whatever his rate was, yeah, you can hit 29 home runs, but that that still doesn't offset uh, what you what you you know hitting 193. So you have to ask yourself: Do, do you want to roll and give 400 at bats to Kenny Vargas as your DH, or do you want to take a chance and sign a five or six million dollar contract? Um, or give a five or six million dollar contract to a guy like Napoli, and then potentially have him hit 193. So um, sometimes in-house options are better. Sometimes the free agents signings are better. It's it, it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation to have, definitely. Sure. Well, and I view Napoli. I don't know if he is going to sign here or not. I view Napoli as somebody that would be. Um, from every account, uh, wherever he's been, Cleveland, Texas, um, for the most part, wherever he's been, he's he's a great mentor, a great role, like role model for the younger players, and he still has power. He might not uh, contribute the same way, and you wouldn't count on him defensively. I certainly wouldn't count on him for more than 300 at-bats, mostly against lefties and probably mostly designated hitter. But uh, I, I would look at his com- contributions more – off the field, in the clubhouse, mentoring Miguel Sano, mentoring Max Kepler, mentoring Eddie Rosario, and, and being like a, a player coach. That's how I view him. So if if he could help, if they were to bring him on instead of Kenny Vargas, who I think would be the person that would not make the roster if they brought in Mike Napoli, if they could bring him on and he could have an, a positive influence on the career's of their four, five, six core offensive players going forward, I think that would be a worthy addition, even if he doesn't hit better than maybe Kenny Vargas can. But that's just right. how I view that, I guess. But well, yeah. So um, I had a couple other questions for how you view baseball. I, I, I wanted to view so outside of Twins players, uh, nine-year-old you. What what were other players that you really loved and looked up to as far as just your being a fan, nine or ten year old when you when you were nine or ten? Were, was it mostly twins and that's totally fine? But um, who were the players you looked up to at that point? Uh, you know, my the number one number one guy for me was uh, thirty four. It, it was is sure. and always will be Kirby Puckett. Um, Outside of the twins, the three guys, ten-year-old uh, uh, me would be 1994. So you're looking at um, Cal Ripken Jr., Ken Griffey Jr., and Frank Thomas are the three players that sure. I just I love. 
And I loved sure. all of those guys for the exact same reason, and it's the way they played the game. It's the way they went about sure. their business. Um, but there were also, you know, different different unique things about each one. You look at Cal Ripken, obviously, you think of the streak, um, one of the greatest shortstops of all time. You know, never never played on a on a team that won the World Series other than early on in his career, but was always kind of the uh, always an ambassador for baseball. And I always, you know, I always thought, you know, playing for Baltimore, you know, in a division where you have to play with the Yankees and Red Sox, to me he was a bigger star than anybody on those teams. Um, Frank Thomas was my favorite player for many years outside of Kirby Puckett growing up. Um, I just, I loved, I I loved him because I loved his nickname, the big hurt. I mean, what a great nickname (laughs) for a guy because he, he, he looked like a guy who would just hurt the ball. I mean, he would hit the ball and it would just be a tape measure towering home run you know, one of those where the pitcher throws it, Thomas hits it, and the pitcher puts his head down right away and turns away from the umpire. So um, he was, he, you know, the other thing that I loved about him, too, was it seemed to me throughout the entire steroid era, he was never once accused of using steroids um, because sure. he never, his his batting helmet never grew eight sizes, his biceps he never gained 80 pounds of muscle. You know, he was just always kind mm-hmm. of a big guy. And he, you know, but he wasn't the one-dimensional player like you see now for a lot of big guys. You know, you see a guy like Chris Davis. He's a boomer bust mm-hmm. kind of guy. He's either going to hit you 52 home runs or he's going to strike out 160 to 200 times. Uh, Frank Thomas Frank Thomas wasn't like that. He, he always seemed to hit for a pretty decent average. He drew a lot of walks and hit a lot of home runs. So, I liked him, um, and then Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, he's he's the he was awesome. He was he was the Michael mm-hmm. Jordan of baseball to me. He brought that kind of inner city feel to baseball. I mean, he was he was taking batting practice and doing home run derbies with his hat backwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many how many kids in the '90s would do that? A ton of them because they saw yeah. Griffey do it. And the other the other thing I loved about Griffey was. Um, you know, his swing. It reminded me of Ted Williams' swing. It's so fluid. Sure. If you watch it in slow motion, it's, it's, it really is just a thing of beauty. He just, he gets such great hand, um, hand positioning and he gets through the ball so well. He keeps his hips back. It really is a thing of beauty. And for him to be able to replicate that, you know, halfway through the nineties, I thought, man, this guy's going to be the greatest player of all time by the time his career is over with. And he was, he was, uh, you know, he was on that trail, and then unfortunately injuries kind of derailed his career when he went to Cincinnati. I mean, he had one good year, and then I think he had a whole bunch of leg and knee injuries right in a row, and it kind of derailed his career. But, uh, you know, for a while there, he was on pace, in my opinion, to be the greatest player of all time and to break the all-time home run record. Yeah, that's how I viewed it, too. Like, honestly, outside of Twins players and, and Puckett, like you said, Griffey for me was my favorite player and probably still is to this day. Like, I don't know that I've um, appreciated or loved a player as much as I did Ken Griffey Jr. when I was 13, 14 years old. I I don't know that I could ever do that again, but um, his swing, his demeanor, like everything about him, his defense, he was just everything that I would think if I were coaching would try to, (laughs) embody in how a 
young person should try to play like, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, he, he yeah, he's so easy to absolutely. cheer for. Yeah, it's, it's fun to talk about. And I, I love your Ripken choice too. Like, so I, I part of the reason I also um, think I grew to love baseball is because of hearing my grandpa and my dad. So my when I say my grandpa, it was my mom's father um, that I was close with in terms of sports and baseball. He his favorite player ever was Lou Gehrig, like bar none. And he would talk forever about how Lou Gehrig was better than the players in his day because of his streak and how he played um, the right way and that sort of thing. And he and my dad would argue because my dad's favorite player forever was Roberto Clemente. And there's not really a (laughs) – there's no – you're not going to win an argument. There's no way to win an argument like that. But that's part of the fun of baseball for me to argue – why your right. favorite player or why your favorite players are, are better than um, another era when you have no way to prove that whatsoever. And that's, that's part of the fun of it too. But like my grandpa would write to, he he would send personalized letters to Cal Ripken begging him to uh, drop out of the street because his favorite player was Lou Gehrig. And I always thought like at the time, I just thought that was ridiculous because Ripken's an amazing player and he's playing the game the right way, whatever that means. And it was just fun seeing it, like seeing baseball through my grandpa's eyes made me love it more as, as time went on too, where I could appreciate why he loved it for the way he did. And I guess it's just interesting to see it through different points of view, but yeah, I, I loved Ripken, Ripken too. Like, the day he passed the streak and the number fell on the uh, on the building outside of um, Oriole Park, it, that was one of the moments I'll never forget as far as just being a baseball fan. But yeah, it's, it's fun to fun to talk about that kind of stuff, and that's why I started this podcast in the first place. I appreciate your answer. So yeah, absolutely, and you know, I, I you know, kind of going off of that a little bit, I remember. Um, one of the, one of the big things I used to do is I used to sit um, and listen by radio actually to the Twins games. I used to listen to uh, to John Gordon and Herb Carneal, and mm-hmm. and they always had the snapper mowing down innings and the Dairy <laughs> Queen twin, Twins trivia sponsored by Dairy Queen and whatever the case may be. Um, but I remember one night, the night he broke the streak, they interrupted their broadcast and went live <laughs> to Baltimore. And sure. it's something I'll never forget. I, I've never forgotten that. It's the only time I've ever seen the Twins do that um, or hurt or mm-hmm. hear them do that. And it it just showed, like you said, just the amount of respect that not only the twins had, but all of baseball had for Cal Ripken, just understanding the enormity of that streak, um, what it meant to Ripken, what it meant to the Orioles and what it meant to baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I just think some, there are moments like that that kind of bring um, not even just baseball fans, but it's, it's just like, uh, moments like that are are America to me, and, and I, maybe that sounds too cheesy, but no, it's, it's just like absolutely. kind of every like for good moments like that, America created baseball. Like baseball is just one of those things that that 
is an American creation and is the greatest game. Like that's part of the country in in, in and of itself. Like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's beautiful and, and awful and sad and, and amazing all in the same moment for however you view it. And it just kind of can bring everyone together. And I, I love it for that. Like everyone remembers where they were when that happened. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. So um, we have a little bit of time left here. I, I wanted to bring up outside of off-season stuff and twins specifically, you you kind of mentioned before this podcast how you wanted to talk about um, sports card collecting and autographs on a certain level and how you view that market. And I, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that with with the off season in full swing, I guess, if you can call it that and, and games not going on, like how do you view um, collecting and, and um, autographs as a whole? Um, you know, like I said, to start off the, the podcast, um, really all I collect is, is baseball autographs. And, and in the last few years, I really narrowed it down to pretty much only twins autographs. Um, it's just it's something that I started to do to and and honestly, Corey, I started as as a way to supplement the off season. You know, when the season would be over, I would want more baseball. I would say, okay, well, I'm not ready for the baseball season to be over yet. What can I do to maintain this love of baseball that I have to carry me through the next six months, especially six months of which I'm going to be freezing and covered mm-hmm. in my neck in snow. So. I wanted to come up with something that would allow me to, you know, share my joy and share my passion with myself and fellow uh, Twins fans, but also to engage in it year-round. Um, autograph collecting for me started when I was a kid. Um, I mentioned I used to go to the Dome and they used to have the Saturday autograph parties, and I love those. I absolutely 100% love those. I I thought those were the coolest things ever. You could, you know, put down a $5 bill and get four autographs for five bucks. And you can't do that so much today. Um, No. But but things like that, I mean, that was was what I grew up with as a kid. And and I didn't really start collecting autographs hardcore until the last three years or so. Um, And one way that uh, I've actually found – that's a pretty budget conscious way is to um, I collect a lot of uh, former players. You know, I focus pretty much on sixties through nineties for the most part um, for the twins. Okay. You know, obviously 87 to 91 is, is the most popular ones because of the championships, but uh, I I've actually done something which is really caught on in the kind of autograph and collecting world. It's called TTM, which stands for through the mail. Um, it's, you okay. kind of talked about earlier about how your grandpa used to send personalized <laughs> letters um, to uh, Ripken begging him to stop. Well, in this case, it would be it would be me sending a self-addressed stamp envelope and a personalized letter to, um, you know, player A asking with some cards or a baseball or a photo asking them to sign them, and then all they have to do is sign it, put it in the uh, prepaid envelope, and send it back to me. Um, I started doing that in 2014, and since then I've gotten okay. over 800 different Twins autographs. 
Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, I, I it's been to hear more about it, that. It, like, it, I, I go on. It's definitely it's definitely a labor of love. Um, it's one of those things. Um, you, I, I tend to stick mainly to cards because they're the most conscientious and easiest to ship. You know, I can ship seven or eight cards in an envelope with, for the price of one stamp. Um, but there are mm-hmm. times when I will send a baseball to a certain player. Um, I'll send a photo to a certain player. Um, or if I have a specialty ball, I will get it signed. I uh, One of the best signings that I went to was actually last year. Um, I had a, world, a 1991 World Series ball, an official logo ball, um, and I knew, and I found out Jack Morris was coming to Caravan. I've had this ball for about four years. I've been trying to get him to sign it. He came up to uh, the Grand Rapids leg of the Caravan, and I was able to get him yeah. to sign it. And I told him, at, and I told him at that point, I feel like he should be in the Hall of Fame. So, um, and then the very next night, I went to the Bemidji, um, to the Bemidji caravan and I had a specialty 1991 all-star game ball which Jack Morris started in in place of an injured Scott Erickson and he signed that mm-hmm. as well and we talked for a minute about that but um, it's really it's really a labor of love it takes you know it's something that you have to commit to um, sure my I, let, let's just put it this way I give my post I give my postman a big tip at the end of the year uh, for all the, <laughs> which you should for all the legs. I think regardless yes, of doing absolutely. this or not I agree you should <laughs> right um, but but especially more so you know when they drop entire bins of stuff off at my door um, you know and it's it's fun to collect because you know you have a lot of a lot of players you know like we talked about earlier Ripken and Thomas and Griffey we talked about how you know we're, we're in our 30s now and we have families and, and mm-hmm. you think back to to what effect those players had on you as a kid. And then I kind of think about what ki- how kids today feel when they see Brian Dozier or Miguel Sano or Joe Mauer or Glenn Perkins or Byron Buxton or whoever it is. And I, I remember being that age and seeing them. And I guess that's probably part of it too. It's probably part of my love of baseball. Um, it, it's fun to see autographs. Um, but the thing I have actually started focusing on more is uh, 60s autographs for t- the Twins. I love the vintage autographs. Cool. I write – I always when – I, when I write my letters, I always handwrite it because I feel like it's a bit more personal yeah. than typing it, unless for whatever sure. reason they physically can't. Um, but I always ask, like, who was the best player you ever played against? If you were a hitter, who was the best pitcher you ever faced, et cetera? Um, and most guys will write one or two word answers, answer my questions, sign my items, and send them back. And some players have written me full-page letters and given me their phone number and <laughs> said, call me, I'd like to talk to you about my baseball career. That's cool. So yeah. Who um, are some of the players like that? I, I'd love to hear, like – not that I need connections necessarily, but like, (laughs) has there been a letter over the last couple, three, four years that's really, I guess, touched you in that way that, that just like wowed you in terms of how much they spent as far as time writing back to you. I'm that's, that's amazing in some ways. Yeah, there are, there's two that really stick out to me. Um, 
Al Worthington, who uh, was the closer on the was the reliever for the '65 Twins, he sure. is in the TTN community. Just known, he's one of the greats. He's, he's okay. he lives down in Alabama, and he pitched for the Giants for a while. And he's a very uh, he's a very great baseball guy. I asked him once um, if he would be willing to do an interview for me for a Facebook group. Uh, twin-centered Facebook group that I'm in, and he said yes. Um, we weren't cool. able to actually get it scheduled, but yeah, he he sent me the letter back with his phone number, and he always sends extras. He's got two by three <laughs> or three by five colored postcards that he signs and sends back, and and he writes full hand page letters, um, wow. you know, paragraphs answering your questions, um, you know, and and there's religious material in there as well. Um, but you, you can tell he just appreciates um, fans going above and beyond and writing him, and and he doesn't know that it's it's my it's our pleasure to do it. I mean, we're asking him <laughs> for his autograph, and and you can tell just by yeah. the amount of stuff he sends back that he loves doing it. Um, the other guy that sticks out is uh, Ken Retzer. He was a catcher for the Twins. I believe he was a catcher for the Twins um, back in the uh, 60s. He was actually somebody I wrote a letter to asking for an autograph on his 65 Tops card. He signed the card and sent it back to me, and then he sent me about seven pages of his career highlights, which was really, really <laughs> cool. Awesome. He sent me a uh, he sent me a um, photocopy of a 1961 first pitch that he caught as a member of the Washington Senators after the Twins moved, they became the Senators again. Um, mm-hmm. He caught the first pitch, I believe it was 1961, from a, from yeah. John F. Kennedy. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's it's a picture of JFK throwing him the ball and and he's catching it and kind of, you know, talking to JFK and extending his hand out. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a history and political science major. Um, so sure. when you make, when he was able to tie baseball back to that moment in American history, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, it basically, um, those are the two that stick out. Um, Greg Gagne for the twins. He's another really good one. He lives out in Massachusetts. He signs, Everything you send him and sends it back. Um, Kent Herbeck is really, really good. He he will sign stuff. Um, probably one of the the best non twins, I will say, um, for active players is Pat Neshek. He's also a collector. Sure. Um, if you follow Pat Neshek on Twitter, you'll see through, several times throughout the off season and d- even during the regular season, he'll say, "Hey, if you have a if you need something signed, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Pat Neshek. He'll include his address. Um, if you send him cards he's looking for for a set, he'll send you like five or six of his signed cards. Uh, oh. Probably the best. Um, one of my favorite non-twins in terms of vintage players." is Carl Erskine. Uh he used to pitch for the okay. Brooklyn Dodgers. He was a teammate of sure. Jackie Robinson in fact. Yeah. Um so just just kind of being able to to write <laughs> him a letter and ask him, you know, what that era was like and what the what the biggest differences of the game are and what he thinks of today's game and and things like that or uh, it's really cool to be able to kind of go back and, 
and write to players from that era who played and retired 20 years before I was even alive um, and to just kind of see how they view the game and to just, you know, because baseball's past, I feel like baseball is more of a American game than other games. And I say that in the way that mm-hmm. if you ask a casual fan, um, what does 714 mean? Or mm-hmm. what does 3,000 mean? You know, they'll mm-hmm. be able to tell you the baseball stat and who has the record. 98% of football fans, even the most diehard, wouldn't be able to tell you what the all-time passing record is. They couldn't tell mm-hmm. you what the all-time rushing record is. You know, baseball stats, in my opinion, seem to be more ingrained um, at a casual level um, in people, in just the American public, even casual baseball fans, than other stats and other sports. And I think that's a tribute to um, to the game and to its past and to its present. And yeah, it's, it's autographs are one of those things that, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's cool to get them through the mail and I'm going to twins fest here in about two and a half weeks. I hope I can touch base with you there and say hi. Um, but that's another thing for me where I can just, I look at it like spending a weekend with 10,000 of my closest friends. You know, it's, it's, I mean, cause that's in reality for me, that's what it is. You know, you're looking at, you're looking at people coming together, um, you know, braving the Minnesota winter to stand in line and pay money to have grown men sign a piece of cardboard or sign a baseball <laughs> or sign a photo or take a picture. Um, sure. You know, it's, it, it's cool. It's really cool. And it's something that I'm always going to love and, it's something that I hope to be able to pass down to my daughter someday. So, um, you know, it's just, it, it's a lot of fun and it's a cool way to um, be able to kind of have baseball in my life all year round. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I know I'm planning on twins Fest too. I'm planning on the twins daily winter meltdown that Saturday night. So I'm, I'm planning on twins Fest that Saturday. I would love to say hi. It'd be fun to, fun to say say hello in person that'd be really great if you're if you're available let's let's plan on that it'd be that's why that's why social media is is great in some ways where you can meet people of of like interest absolutely absolutely yeah it's it's going to be a lot of fun um you know this year they've got what i think is going to be the best twins fest lineup ever in addition to you know the the guys they normally have every year the 40 man they have a lot of the prospects they also have Justin Morneau and Joe Nathan there this year. And those that's the <laughs> first time that those guys are coming back in uh, probably five to ten years or more. So um, cool. it'll be a lot of fun. It's, if you've never been to Twin Fest, I highly recommend listeners go. If you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, it's uh, January 19th through the 21st at, at uh, Target Field. It's a three-day thing. It's interactive. There's games and autographs and food and silent auctions, and all the proceeds go to the Twins Community Fund. And it's it's a chance to hang out with uh, with your heroes and see guys that you normally see on TV, um, you know, up close. Sure, no doubt. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for for it too. Are you are you planning on going 
all three days. What what is your plan personally? Yeah, I'm I'm personally planning to go all three days. I'm going to be down there Friday night and Saturday and and Sunday. I've never been there on Sunday before, so I've usually only gone Friday and Saturday, but this year I'm going to go Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I took a vacation day. Um, I took actually that entire weekend off from both of my jobs, and I told them when the schedule came out, don't call me because I'm going to be in the city. Um, Twin Twin Fest is the the, uh, big event that I look forward to. For me, it's the Super Bowl every year. Um, It's it's a lot of fun. Um, People say, oh, well, you know, I liked it so much better when it was at the Metrodome and it was all spread out on the field. Well, yeah, it was nice when it was on the Metrodome and the autographs were $5 per station. I agree. But the way the Twins do it, I mean, they shouldn't be given a lot of credit. Um, they they do a lot with what they have. Um, doing it at Target Field is fantastic. This year it'll be interesting because of the Super Bowl being two weeks later. Um, and it's also going to be a lot busier because the Red Bull Crashed Ice event is that mm-hmm. same weekend. So And that draws up to about 100,000 people. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, it's going to be – Minneapolis is going to kind of be the place to be for that kind of mid – January through early February. Um, I'm looking forward to Twin Fest. I think the Super Bowl will be fantastic, but uh, Twin Fest is what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to all three days. I love to uh, see all the radio guys and everybody um, do a podcast there, and maybe maybe I can twist your arm and have you do a live podcast from there. I think your listeners might like that. That'd be fun. I, I, I would not be against that in any way, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Also, just to, like, put a face to names and, and say hello. Like, that's part of the fun of all of this, right, <laughs> in terms of oh, um, meeting yeah, people and, and saying hello. Like, I'm I'm excited for that. So let's let's plan on that. I'll I'll text you uh, around that weekend and we can we can meet up and say hi. It'd be it'd be fun. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks for having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. I uh, I had about six or eight other topics I wanted to talk about, but that hour just flew by, and it was it was fantastic. Um, I wish you nothing but the best. I hope you'll have me on again in the future, and uh, I hope uh, I hope your uh, podcast gets really good ratings. And you know, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I had I had a blast being on the show. Thanks so much for um, you know picking my brain and let me uh, talk twins and be a kid for an hour with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. I I appreciate it too. I, I I know I had a few other questions I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned a few things that I think the next time I have you on here or we can chat, like I'd, I'd love to talk about. But um, before we end, uh, if people are listening still, which I think people are, uh, if if you could give your Twitter handle or how uh, any other uh, type of modem that you would want people to connect with you. Um, uh, if you could give that out so people could ask you questions if they're looking for a contact for, for base, baseball purposes too, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. Um, on Twitter, you can find me. Um, my my uh, handle is Devlin under slash Clark 84. That's D-E-V-L-I-N under slash Clark, C-L-A-R-K, 84. Um, and my uh, username on Twitter is Ultimate Twins Fan. Obviously, I'm not the Ultimate Twins Fan, but I am a Ultimate Twins Fan. Uh, Devlin, <laughs> under slash Clark, 84. 
Um, I love to uh, I love to have Twitter debates about you know signings and players and top twins history and trivia and things like that. So um, if you guys are listening, uh, make sure you're following Corey. Give me a follow. Shout out to shout out to uh, give me a shout out. Um, ask me some questions. Give me a follow. And uh, yeah, you know it's it's fun to uh, like you said earlier in the show. It's fun to talk. It's fun to use social media as a way to. Uh, to kind of talk and hang out and uh, really kind of express your, express your opinion with a lot of like-minded people. And that's, that seems to be very, very popular on Twitter to express your opinion. (laughs) For better or worse, but I agree. Right. right. It's it's good. It's good in a lot of ways. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Let me, yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got one more. Um, if you're on, if Twitter's not your, if Twitter's not your cup of tea, um, I do have a Facebook group that I created. I'm no longer um, an admin, but I am a member. Um, it is a private group. We have currently 341 members. We've been going strong for about two years. It's called Ultimate Minnesota Twins Group. So search for that. Um, mention that you um, you heard me on Corey's podcast, and I will let the admins, who are two of my best friends, know to be on the lookout for that. Um, it's a buy-sell trade discussion, analytics group. We do player show-offs. We do memorabilia show-offs. We do a little bit of everything. We have discussions. It's it's really cool. So uh, if you're a Twins fan and you're you're willing to be active in a Facebook group, give the uh, Ultimate Minnesota Twins group a chance. Sorry, Ultimate Minnesota Twins group is that what you're calling it? Yep. That is All what right, we are I'm going to try to connect right now, and we'll go from there. That that works for me. So Perfect. that works pretty well. Absolutely, well, yeah. uh, Delvin. I, I appreciate you and 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 your time here tonight, and I thank you for coming on. And I, I don't want to. Uh, I, I, I we didn't even get into parenting or, or being being dads. Right? No, I, I want to talk about that at some point. Um, but it's, Ooh, it's getting sure. late, sure. and I don't, I don't want to take more of your time. But um, let's chat again soon. This was really fun, and I appreciate your time. So thank you for coming on, and, and let's talk again. <laughs> Uh, around Twins Fest, it'd be fun to fun to say hello and, and shake hands and say hi. Absolutely, and uh, you know, in the meantime, I'll uh, I'll see if uh, you know what I'll tell you what, Corey. If you're willing to do a podcast at Twins Fest, I'll make you a deal. I'll see if I can wrangle up a uh, special guest to be on the show with you. How's with me? How's that? That sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for pretty much anything. That sounds good. So. We'll make perfect, it happen. Perfect. So, yeah, you get listeners out there. Thank you guys very much for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it, Corey. You're the man. I appreciate you having me on for uh, going on 70 minutes now. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll do this again soon. We'll chat around Twin Fest. That sounds great. I'm excited. It's about a month from now, so I'm, it'll be a good time. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. appreciate it, brother. You take care. You too, Devlin. Have a good night, okay? You too, thanks. All right, well, yeah, this one last time is baseball is good, and I hope everyone has a good evening.